This morning, as we end out Corinthians, uh, we finally made it, um, and we're going to end out in chapter 14 this week as we end in Corinthians, and um, the main theme this morning is that God has called us to be orderly in church, but also um, we don't want to miss the passion in worship, um, and especially in how we respond to God. And so um, one of the things that causes us to uh, maybe lose focus is, are those voices? And so let me just ask a question real quick. Um, this may be different for guys and for ladies. Some, are we okay? Is there voices? Are we hearing voices? Justice hearing voices? Okay. Wow. That was perfect segue. We'll pray for you later. It's fine. She is, I'm so sorry. We're so sorry. She loves attention. Um, this is, could not have happened to a better person. Um, for those who are watching online, her name is, no, I'm kidding. Um, this morning, the voices uh, that, that come at us. So I'm just kind of curious, how many of you, like, how many voices can you tolerate at one time? Okay, so I'm just kind of curious. Like, uh, my wife is amazing. She can handle a lot of different voices at once. Uh, I tend to handle one or two voices at once. And yet, at the same time, like, you would see my screen on my computer is like, you, you have like 50 things open. How do you handle one voice? I don't know. It's just kind of me. So how many in the room, like, you can handle, let's just start, maybe, let's add a, let's add a high number. How many of you can handle like 10 voices at once in a room or in a conversation? Wow, no, really? Nobody? One, two, some of you guys, some of you social people are like, yes, doesn't bother. How many of you are like down to like five? Let's go down to drop that. Let's go to five. Like how many five in a room? You're still okay. You can kind of navigate that. Everybody's talking at once. How many are like one or two and that's it? Just give me, okay, all right. How many are like no voices at all in a room would be great? Okay, all right, so, okay, just making sure. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about that because in this church, we're going to be, we're going to be looking at this idea of, of voices that came into people. And so it's amazing that like we all say that, but I did a very scientific study this week. Um, and by that, I mean, I set the timer on my phone and uh, I opened up Facebook. So that was my scientific study. And I could get to about 35 or 40 posts, stories in about 30 seconds. Okay. So it, it, I opened up the phone, just put the timer on. And in 35 to 40 seconds or 30, in 30 seconds, I could get to 35 or 40 posts, just, just doing this or this, whichever, okay, right? And, and I could just kind of see what's going on, all those voices coming in at once. And so just so you know, that's about 360 people in five minutes time, okay? So if you're on your phone, on whatever social media app you are on, uh, you are listening to about 360 people in a five-minute time span, okay? That's just kind of normal pace. That's not like breezing through it. That's just kind of a slow... Even pay. So average time people spend on social media in a day, this is interesting, an average adult spends about 38 minutes per day on social media. So that's 2,736 stories per day that you're ingesting. Okay, so just put that in perspective. 2,736 stories per day that you are allowing voices into your, into your head. Do you wonder why you're getting a little crazy lately? Okay, so this is it. And then students, this is funny, students on a median, this is just like median for students, it's three hours per day on social media. So to put that in perspective, that's 12,960 stories per day that you are able to process somehow through in that short amount of time. So we, and when you think about all the voices that are coming in us and all the voices that are there, we have voices coming in and talking to us all the time and we can get very, very distracted. And, and it's that thing that we can tolerate voices on a social media screen, but, but we have a hard time tolerating them in person and we get distracted and we start seeing that happen. Well, this in the church in Corinth, it wasn't social media happening, but there was a whole lot of voices happening at once in this church in Corinth. 
And here's the thing I know about when we get all these voices at once. When voices multiply, they can become meaningless and frustrating background noise, right? I mean, when you get so much noise in your life, so many voices, they just become meaningless or they even become frustrating at times. You're just like, I just need you to be quiet. Like, I just need silence to happen for just a couple minutes. The same is true in Corinth, that when the, the voices multiplied in the church in Corinth, people, the, the church became meaningless and frustrated by all the background noise. So let's open up to your, your Bibles in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 26. And he says this in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So let's imagine the scene. I want to just play this out a little bit. So um, how interactive do you feel this morning? Are you okay? All right. Here's what I want to do. Um, so here's, here's what I want to do. How many of you, like, really, like, you enjoy the good old hymns of the, of the day? And just, you like, like, yes. So Carl, could you stand up for a second? Matthew, could you stand up for a second? It's going to be good. And Jill, yeah, yeah. No, just kind of, it's going to be good. All right, so, and so if you guys just want to start, any hymn you want, any, any, <laughs> Seriously, any hymn you want, just go ahead and start singing it, okay? And I'm going to, not yet, but as you think, think of one anytime you want to say, okay. Now, now somebody else, uh, grab any portion of Scripture that you want, okay, from your Bible. Uh, turn there, flip there, and then I want you to stand up. Go ahead and grab a couple of Scriptures. Who else? Somebody, somebody stand up. Come on, Scripture, Scripture. Somebody's got a Scripture to read. Somebody, no, yes. Come on, help me out. This is going to play out well, I promise. Okay, good. All right, any passage you want, Okay. Any passage you want. All right, now, um, also what I need is somebody who's just had a really cool week and you just want to share about your week, all right? So go ahead and stand up. Those who want to share about their week, come on, give me a couple of help. Help me out, help me out, help me out. Come on, come on. Somebody else? I need a couple more people. A couple more people. Come on. No? Steve wants to. Steve's going to share about his week. Sam's going to share about her week. Okay. And so we've got that. And then um, here's what I need. I need somebody who's really wants to dive deep, deep into scripture and you want to tear things apart in a passage. Okay. So in this passage, you're going to start expounding on this passage. You're going to start interpreting this passage, start getting, putting that stuff out there. Somebody can stand up, just kind of start reading through 1 Corinthians 14. Somebody want to do that for me? And uh, good. Perfect. Perfect. Bart. Yep. 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 Tell me, tell me all the theology that you can expound in five minutes or less out of this passage, okay? All right, so when I say go, I want everybody to do it, but I want you to do it in your specific thing that you're doing, and I want you to do it at a very loud decibel because you need to be heard above all your other people in your church, okay? For those online, you, you, you picked a great Sunday to be here. This is just fantastic, all right? So on the count of three, one, two, three, go, as loud as you can, Go. Tell me more about that. Yeah, how'd that go? That's fantastic. God, just said so much, God. I just love this prayer time. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing. This is fantastic. This is so good, right? This is so awesome. I love what you're saying here, right? And so, now, this is so good, right? I can imagine. Now, who else has a hymn or a song today? Anybody else want to sing or a song? This is so good. This is, so good. This is great. This is so good, right? So, so good. I have a microphone and you don't. All right, so I grab a seat. This is fantastic, right? So now, imagine, like, that was just a small, small version, okay? This is very, very tiny compared to what was happening at a large gathering of those in the 
the church in Corinth, and it was happening in a home church. Okay, so imagine being in a small house, and all, everybody's got the same thing, and everybody comes in hot and ready for that morning. Like, somebody's ready because they got a song that they want to say. Somebody's got an interpretation that they need to give. Somebody's got a problem they need solved, and they are coming in the door hot, and they're like, I've just got to, I, I don't care what the pastor's doing. I got a thing that I got to share with the church today, and it's got to be down. It's got to be right near right now, and I got to share it. And all of a sudden, like, the entire church is doing this, and all this noise is happening in church, to which some of you in your room, you're kind of like, uh, I didn't like church in the beginning, but this is even worse. But here's the thing. Nobody could understand what anybody else was saying in the room, and this was what was happening in the church in Corinth, and this is a small glimpse of what we saw Paul dealing with on a regular basis. So this wasn't just like one Sunday example. This was every week. Okay, this was every week in the church. And as a result of this, people were starting to leave the church because they're like, these people are nuts. Okay, I thought I was going to try this church thing out, but this is not working out for me. Okay, so let's pick up in verse 27. This is the scene. This is what's happening. And here's what Paul is going to address specifically in this church in Corinth. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So not only that, but there were, def- def- there were different languages being spoken in the room, and each trying to get louder than the other. And Paul says, hey, you know what? If we're going to do this tongue thing, let there be two or three at most, and each in turn, and let each interpret. There should be an order and a structure here. This shouldn't be a free-for-all in how it works. And then he continues. He says, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets." So what's going on here? What, what, what can be done here? Th- what's happening is all these people are using their spiritual gifts, but they're doing it in a way that's for their own glory and their own reputation. And what's at stake is clarity and the building up of the church. We just talked about last week at record pace, <laughs> I won't do that again to you today, um, about the idea of building up the church. And he says that the things that were happening in this church were not building up the church. And he gives this one main clarifying thought to all that he just talks about with tongues and with prophecy. And he says this, verse 33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He says, this thing in church, there's to be an order. And this church in Corinth was going crazy with all the disorder that was around them. This, was, this order was not being seen at all at the church in Corinth. And a theme verse, it's almost the, a theme verse for the entire book of Corinthians, that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Because if you've been with us through the whole book, you've seen that this, this whole church is just a hot mess. Like from beginning to end, everything is confusing. Everybody's out for their own agenda. There is no peace happening in this church because everybody's trying to one-up each other. Not only were they trying to one-up each other in who they listened to, we talked about that in chapter 1, they're now trying to one-up each other in their spiritual gifts and saying, I'm more important because I have the better gift and I'm going to make sure that everybody hears that I have the better gift. And so there's just confusion. And God, and he reminds these people in Corinth and he reminds us in the church today, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. And Paul knew that God's desire in his church to thrive, including Corinth, was God being, uh, the the desire for um, the church to thrive was that they wouldn't have a bad reputation and and that this confusion would lead not to, uh, I'm sorry, that all this confusion would potentially lead to a lack of peace. 
In an article by Brian Hedges, he, he uses a similar analogy to the one Paul did earlier in 1 Corinthians when he talks about this idea of a lack of peace. When so many voices come into our world and come into our life that we lack peace. It's an amazing article. He says this. He says, pediatricians diagnose some children with FTT, which is failure to thrive. And the causes of FTT are many and varied, including genetics, sickness, poor nutrition. But the diagnosis itself is given in cases of arrested development when a child's growth measurements fall beyond a certain percentile. And a similar condition, he says, is true for many Christians. It's a spiritual failure to thrive. Rather than abounding in love in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, rather than knowing the peace that surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4.7, rather than rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory, 1 Peter 1.8, these believers are marked by inconsistent and unhealthy patterns of growth and regression. And he says, this is kind of, when, he, when I read that, I'm like, that is this church in Corinth. They're unhealthy. They're failing to thrive. They think they are, but they're not thriving because it's all confusion. And in this same article, he suggests some things that may help us if we have a failure to thrive in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he goes back to an old, old pastor by the name of John Owen, Puritan preacher, And here's some things that John Owen wrote when it comes to this failure to thrive and how to fix it. He says, we should probably focus on these things if we have a failure to thrive in churches. He says, number one, in general, when men are careless as to unto that continual watch which they ought to keep over their hearts. So he says the first thing that's a threat to our peace is when we don't keep a continual watch over our hearts and we allow them to go other places. He continues, he says, whilst they are negligent in holy duties, either as undo, unto the seasons of them or the manner of their performance. He says we, we, we forget the spiritual disciplines that we were called to do. He says when we, we have a failure to thrive is when we are strangers. He says when they are strangers unto holy meditation and self-examination. He says if you want to thrive, if you want to be a church that thrives and has peace, he says then you must have holy meditation and self-examination. Whilst they inordinately pursue the things of the world, or are so tender and delicate as they will not undergo the hardship of a heavenly life, either as unto the inward or outward man, much more when they are in vain in their conversations, corrupt in their communication, especially if under predominant influence of any particular lust. It is vain to think of thriving in spiritual affections. He says, we can't do it if we continue just to pursue the things of this world, and if we are reluctant to go to the hardships of living a life here on earth. And he says, if we fail to do those things, we have a failure to thrive. And I think that's one of the things that was happening in the church in Corinth is not only were they failing to thrive, they were, they were using spiritual language and spiritual gifts to gloss over the fact that they weren't growing. And the key is that we, the key is that we know what is causing us to lack this peace and, and basically slow the faucet of the voices that are coming into our lives so that we can be a church that represents this God of order and do so in a way that invites unbelievers to see the good things happening within our church. This happens through prayer. It's to make us slow down and even cease the thriving that we do on our own and truly trust in the God who um, brought us this far. So that's, that's kind of the beginning thing. He says there's these voices and there's spiritual gifts that are out of control. And he says they're causing the church a lack of peace and they're causing the church a lack of thriving in their spiritual walk. 
And then he goes into um, a couple other examples here, and he says, let's look at uh, of confusion and peace in verses 33b to 39. So let's kind of dive in a little bit more into this passage, chapter 14. Let's look at a couple of more examples he gives us on confusion and peace. So he says, as this is uh, 33b, the, the tail end of 33 and to 34, as in all churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, don't you love that Paul ends 1 Corinthians in a way that's so easy? Like he's like, I'm going to give you prophecy tongues, spiritual gifts, and then I'm going to tell all the women in your church to be quiet. Um, And if they want to know anything, they should go ask their husbands. To which many in the room are like, wow. Wow. Okay, so what do we do with that, right? So instead of just glossing over this, we have to address this, right? And we have to understand what he's talking about because this isn't the first time he's brought this up. So this was not only uh, an issue in the church in Corinth. I believe there's principles for today that we just can't gloss over this and just, you know, well, that was just context and culture and we don't have to deal with it today. Paul addressed this idea of women in church earlier in chapter 11 when he talks about head coverings. And in chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, he says this, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. And so, obviously, in this text, we're not going to get into the haircuts, um, but we are going to get into the fact that somehow, in, in chapter 11, Paul says that women are praying and prophesying, and he doesn't seem to have a problem with it in chapter 11. So this thing of remaining quiet in chapter 14 makes you kind of take a step back and say, well, wh- what's he talking about? What, what does he mean, every woman? So let me give you um, one possible scenario to this. Woman, uh, women in that time, there was a big cultural thing that was happening in that day and age, and it was the worship of a, a goddess by the name of Diana, or if you were in Rome, that name would be Artemis. And this goddess that was celebrated in the culture of this time uh, had a huge temple in that area. So you could almost see it in your town. And again, if you were in Corinth and you celebrated in church, you could see that those uh, who, like today, would go to other churches around us, they would all, in that community, go to the temple of Diana and Artemis. This Greek goddess of the time was huge at that time, and she was a goddess of hunting and of wild and of the woods. And so, it's kind of fun. All the hunters in the room are like, finally, a goddess for me. Um, uh, she was, and she was the... Um, one that was the protector of women, and, and she, uh, as a deity, apparently swore off marriage and celebrated chastity, uh, yet also was believed to grant favor to, of conception to women and the protection during childbirth to women. And, and this goddess was celebrated so much that there were prophets, there were dancers uh, at the temples, and there was even acrobats at some of the temples, which you're like, why don't we do that? Um, because of order and not chaos. Um, and so at this place, all of these women would gather for the sake of protection of their kids, for, for the fact that they couldn't have children, and they would go and they would worship at this place and say, I want to have kids, I want to have this, and they would basically come and, and, and offer their, themselves to this goddess well, what happened was so many people got saved in that town of Corinth that, that they got saved, but they were taking a lot of their rituals and bringing them into the Christian church with them. And so many believe that, that as they came into the church in Corinth, they were just as soon as they came in, they're like, hey, this church prophesies. I need to know when am I going to have a kid? When am I going to have a kid? And they would just basically be 
trying to get their own agenda across every single week, and it became a disruption to the church. And Paul says, hey, we just need this to, to, to be quiet in, in the church, and, and I need women that if you're going to ask these things, do so in a way that honors the, um, the, the original design that God put in, in, uh, in creation. So let me just kind of give, that's one example, the, the goddess and things like that. But I believe there's even more to this, and I believe that there's context that we need to have in a passage like this. Here's what it's really easy to do, is to take a passage like this, pull it out of context, and say, this is what I believe, because that's what the Bible says, and we don't look at anything around the context of the passage. If you look at um, not only chapter 14, but you look at chapter 11, which talks about the exact same thing, and if you back up in chapter 11 to verse, the first couple verses in chapter 11, I believe we get the answer for why Paul put this in there to begin with. I believe that some had been brought into the church, like I said, that, they were, that Paul was addressing the chaos and the excess in the church, and then out of the control nature of the church was happening. And Paul reminds them that there's an order, that there's an importance of God in, in, in his church, and that he is a God of order, not chaos. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 3, and I believe this is the case that Paul is trying to make when it comes to women speaking in church. He says this in verses 2 to 3. Now I commend, commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the wife is the husband and the head of Christ is God. So in, in chapter 11, before he dives into all the specific issues, he says, here's what I want you to get. The specifics, we're going to get to those and, and we're going to debate those, but here's the big point. The big point is God says there's an order in creation, there's an order in family, there's an order in the church, and as a result of that, I want order in the Corinthian church as well. That men, the elders of the church, would be the ones that the people needed to put themselves underneath to say, I'm going to trust the authority that God has put into this church, and I'm going to respect the elders, and I'm going to silence my voice so that the church is benefited from this. Paul's use of the order here is an order given by God. To see his order from creation, order in family, order in church, and seeing these passages together, 14 and 11, in context, make it seem to me that he's saying that women are allowed and encouraged to talk in the church, but fall under the same authority as the rest of the church. That just as men wouldn't be able to stand up and just give any kind of prophecy they wanted to give and just take total chaos of the room, but they would be put underneath the elders, I would say the same is true of the women here. And Paul continues to say that order will be in their prophecy as well. And this is given to the entire church and not just to women. Does that make sense? This is now to the entire church again, and it's all about order. Continuing on in verse 36, he says, Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you... Are are you the only ones it has reached? Verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Again, example is, he just said here, he should acknowledge the things I am writing you are a command of God. He says there is a command given and an order given that God created that God put as the head of the world himself. He says, I want you to understand, back to three. The head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is church, is God, and the head of the church is Christ. And so if you can't come underneath the headship, that's an issue. I'm writing these things to command you. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Verse 39. So my brother, eat, er, brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But then he goes back to the main point, verse 40 again. 
but all things should be done decently and in order. Another theme in the entire book of 1 Corinthians is here. The church at Corinth, as I said before, is crazy. It had a lot of different things happening at once, and Paul is reminding us there is an order to church. Here's what we don't like, though, in Christianity today. We don't always like to be told what to do. (laughs) We don't always like to be told to come under authority. We rebel against it. We feel like we're over it. And yet God reminds us again and again and again that he has set an order for things. And if we have disagreements to those things, we come to him and we say, my problem isn't just the order. My problem is ultimately then with God. And that's a good thing to wrestle through. Because ultimately, Paul is reminding us it is an order given by God for the church, and especially here in 1 Corinthians. Confusion, chaos, a bad reputation with outsiders was happening on a regular basis. And Paul is about order and the bigger issue of clarity in building up the church. God is not a God of confusion. Things must be done in order. Now, while order is an extreme that the Corinthians struggled against, being that they were far, uh, they were on the far side of passion and feeling and just everybody saying everything they wanted to do, there is also, I would say, an extreme to order as well being so orderly that there's no room for passion or for feeling. And so we here, let's just pick on us for a little bit, um, Community Bible Church. Let me just pick on us for a little bit and say that we are probably heavy on the order side, correct? (laughs) Uh, So just as a—I'm not going to do a show of hands, but if you can kind of think in your head, how many of you came from a very orderly kind of church, whether it's Catholicism, uh, you maybe came from a Protestant, yeah, and and there's kind of like— so coming here, it's like very different. Like for your first initial, you were kind of like, whoa, this is very different in how you worship. We had a kid named Tony that was in our um, youth group, and he came from a Catholic church. We took him on a retreat once. This kid lost his mind. He was like, wow, it's so loud. And, and the, the songs are like crazy. We don't do this in our church. And I'm like, yeah, well, the sound was too loud. And but, but anyway, it was just that I wasn't used to that, right? And so I think there's some that are so orderly that if you come from that background, this is kind of a step in progression. On the other side, some of you came from, um, some, from, from churches that were far more on the passion and feeling. And so for you to come here, it's like a step backwards. You're kind of like, man, we were far more into the spirit or whatever you want to call it and passionate and feeling. And, and, that, and, and so to coming here, we're, we're taking a step, you know, in this direction. Here's what I would say to us at Community Bible Church. I would say that we are definitely orderly, and I would say, secondly, we have room to grow in passion and in our emotion on a Sunday morning to be allowed into our worship. And I say allowed into our worship because you can know from the elders of Community Bible Church that we examine the worship on a regular basis from what is sung on the screen— from a screen, not from the screen. Uh, the words that are on the screen, we scrutinize, we talk through those. Rich and I have talked many times about different songs that we've, we've come to disagreements on or agreements on. We're both kind of like, what does it mean theologically? It, can we really sing this and it be biblical? And then on the other side, our, our prayers and, and the people we have on stage, we make sure that that is all done in the, in the realm of Scripture. And so there's a freedom that we want you to have here that says you can trust that there is a scriptural backing to all that we do, which then allows you to be expressive in your worship. And so just some things just for us at Community Bible Church. that There may be opportunities in a song 
where you just feel as if like, man, I, 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 just, I just believe that so much of what that phrase is. That, that meant so much to me in my life this week. And I just want to applaud that. And you just start applauding during a song and everybody's kind of like, oh, we don't do that here. We just reserved and we stay in our rows and we don't, whoa, whoa, easy. And everybody's kind of looking around like, where's it coming from? And the person's like, and you're, so let's not do that to people, okay? <laughs> let's allow that to happen, right? If there is something that has happened in your life and there's something that you sing or hear in the sermon and you resonate with, and you're like, amen, let's, yes to that. Let's, let's be okay with that and not be, amen. Everybody's like, uh, we don't do that here, people. We just stay in our rows. We don't talk. It's not good. Okay. This, obviously, posture, right? Posture of surrender is okay. Raising hands. The, the idea of raising hands in worship is, again, it's a surrender to him. And maybe that's new to you because you've never done that or maybe you were forced to do it in a, in a thing. Okay, now we stand, now we sit, now we do this. It's an expression that says, I am allowing all of God to have all of me. And I am with this lyric, whatever, and I'm just saying, this is true. This is good, okay? Those kind of things are are natural to many of us in the room because we don't want to stand out. Many of us don't like singing in general, so you're in that boat. But in in response to what God is doing, it's okay to have expressions and passion in our worship. Because as you do so, it's not just for your benefit. You are building up the church. There are so many times in worship when I love to hear from behind me an amen or an applause or something that's happening. Because that means to me that something has happened in your life this week that you are saying, I can't help but express the joy and gratitude over that statement because it has made a difference in my life. And we as the body get to not stand around and judge you and be like, shh, quiet, okay? We get to stand around and say, man, praise God for what he's doing in that person's life, right? We get to celebrate with you. If we don't hear that, if we're not part of seeing that, if it's just kind of internal, we just hold it all together and we just praise God and your face looks like this, right? then we don't get to experience that, 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 the, the, the foundations of what God's doing in your life. So, so let me just say, Community Bible Church, it's okay. Rich would really like it, actually. <laughs> We've had talks. Where there's, just, we, there's something about leading with people who just respond to who Jesus is and what he has done in their life. And it's okay at the end. Here's, here's the other thing. This is just fun. This is just my pet peeve. Um, it's okay to applaud at the end of a song because it's something that God has done for you. Here's the thing. I think we're, yes, yes, that's so good. He's like, I'll show you guys what's up. This is right here. I'll do it right now. So it's because, now here's the thing. We get weird with this, right? Because if you go to a church that's order and structure, you get weird because you're like, are we applauding the band because they did a good job? Um, because it really wasn't that good. And I don't think I should applaud that. Right? In fact, boo, right? So that, that you're not, it's not the band. You're not applauding the band. When I applaud in a song, it's because I am agreeing with God. And it's the thing that I can do to say yes, yes and amen to that statement. And it's a way for me to express that in worship. So Community Bible Church, we are really good at order. Really good. Not a problem. I think if Paul were to come here, he'd be like, is this place alive? <laughs> Do they have a heartbeat? 
We do, we do, we do, we do, we do. I'm not picking on you. I am. Okay, I am picking on you. But we, 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 we do, we, we have it. But we just sometimes are just, we just aren't comfortable with how we express it. But let me tell you what passionate worship will do when we close here. Passionate worship is a sign for unbelievers. I love this. In the temple of Diana, as it was destroyed, um, the reason the temple in, in Corinth and in, in Artemis, was dis- the, the temple was destroyed, over, it was destroyed a couple times, but the, the, the last takeout of the temple, do you know why it was taken out? It was taken out because so many people in that town got converted to Christianity and they overthrew the temple. And all the rejoicing that happened in that town was because Jesus was doing something big in Corinth. And it was a sign that as they came into these churches, these house churches in Corinth, there was passionate worship. And it's a sign to unbelievers. If it's done in order and done in passion, an outsider will come in who doesn't have anything to do with Jesus and say, I don't really know what's happening, but man, oh man, do they love this guy that they worship. Wow. I don't want people to come in and be like, well, that was just like I thought church would be right? Everybody just kind of just does the thing. They know the order. They know when to stand. They know when to sit, and they just leave. That, 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 it, it may be helpful, but ultimately, people are going to respond when they see believers who are passionate for the God that they serve. So passionate worship is a sign for unbelievers. Number two, passionate worship is a sign to our family, to those who you are with day in and day out. And here's a question that may hit home for you, and that is this. What message are you sending but not engaging on a Sunday morning? What message are you sending to your kids if you're not able to engage on a Sunday morning, but you're able just to sit and process and be like this and judge and boo worship? <laughs> um, that's not happening. But, but if, you're, if you're not engaging, you're sending a message to the family as well. So that when they go to church, they're going to see, okay, apparently at church we don't engage. Apparently at church we just listen, we respond, then we go home, and then we have lunch, and that's how church works. I want our family personally to see that worship is a passionate thing for us, that Christ has made a difference in mom and dad's life. And as a result of that, we can't help but respond on a Sunday morning. And do so with a family of believers around them it's not just mom and dad, that they could go to the body of the church and say, gosh, I want to learn from them. I want to learn from, from, from that person in church and that person in church. It's assigned it's to our family. Lastly, passionate prayer or passionate worship. I'm sorry. Passionate worship is fueled by a passionate prayer life. As we start into the, 18, uh, the 21 days of prayer next week, um, I am just encouraged by what God is doing. I heard another story um, this morning of what God's doing, and Lord willing, you'll hear more about that. But my goodness, God is moving here. And we know that a passionate prayer life equals a passionate worship. In the same article, Brian Hedges, in the same article I mentioned earlier, says this, the importance of prayer cannot be overstated. Prayer is the most practical expression of genuine trust in Christ. When we recognize our spiritual poverty and our deep need for God's gracious interventions into our affections, oh, it's so good, we can turn to God in prayer and obtain grace and renewal. This, in fact, is one of God's designs in prayer. Owen said that one principal end of prayer is to excite, stir up, and draw forth the principle of grace, of faith, and love in the heart, unto a due exercise in holy thoughts of God and spiritual things with affection suitable unto them. In other words, prayer moves the, the dead heart with earnest thoughts and feelings of Christ and His grace. 
So this morning, as we close out, um, I want us just to sing uh, a song that, that, that is this idea of our need for Him. And, and, and he, as we continue on in, in our worship throughout the year, um, my encouragement to you is to, is to be able to say, if, if, if God has done something in my life, I want to be able to celebrate it. I want people to know. And, and singing in response and worship is part of that. And so let me close with this this morning. I want to read out of Psalm 40. And uh, there's going to be a couple verses here on the screen for you to follow along. And, and what I want to do is I want to read uh, these verses and then give you time to meditate and think of what God has done in the context of these for you personally. And then we're going to have a chance to respond in song. So there's going to be two things, responding to, to the Scripture being read and then response in our singing and our worship back to Him. So it says this in Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. And so you can join me. Set everything aside for a little bit. We just want to take the end time here just to, um, just to remember who our God is and what He has done for us. So here we go. Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So right where you're at, if those words mean anything to you, what he has taken you from and what he has placed you on, right? It could be a new truth that you didn't know before you accepted Christ, and now that truth is starting to transform you. It could be what has, has happened in your family and in their life and, and the fact that there was just some chaos and things that were happening there, and, and now there's a, there's a solidity that's happening. He has set my feet upon the rock. He has made my steps secure. Maybe this morning as you read that, it's not what he's done, but it's what you're praying he will do. That he will draw me from a pit of destruction and out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock and he will make my steps secure. Continuing on, Psalm 40 says this, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. Now, that's just, wow. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds. Yes, we've seen him do some amazing things, and we want to see more as we seek his, his face in prayer. You have done them, and you've multiplied them, and you've also multiplied your wondrous thoughts toward us. None can compare with you hope that's true. I hope that's part of your story. He will put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise, because he's multiplied his deeds and his thoughts towards us. And then lastly, and I think is there one more? I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more that can be told. This story we have is one that will be eternal. It will outlast us. It will outlast our kids. It is one from the past and will be in the future that we have a God who is in control and will do miraculous, mighty things. And we get to proclaim and tell them as many as we can and more than can be told. Would you join us as we sing out, as we close in song this morning?